Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. I've heard Psalm 23 preached several times, as I'm sure many of you all have as well. But as I was trying to remember, I don't think I've ever heard Psalm 23 preached outside of a funeral service. And as I was thinking back, that's a shame. Not because Psalm 23 doesn't belong in a funeral service, it absolutely belongs there. But we need Psalm 23 this morning, not just for death, we need it for life. You see, the Psalms have been so beloved by the people of God throughout all of history because in the Psalms, we get the very language of God. And this language teaches us us how to pray. This language teaches us how to understand our hearts, to understand our world. And yes, this language especially teaches us how to live. And so is it any wonder why in the Ukraine over the last several weeks, the pastors have been turning to the Psalms for their people? In fact, there's an article posted in Christianity Today that shared the different sermon passages that were preached the Sunday right before Russia invaded their country. Psalm 145, how God is still our king and on his throne. Psalm 44, where is God in the midst of suffering? Psalm 135, how God doesn't change despite changing circumstances. Psalm 22, What do you do when you're feeling forsaken? When faced with unbelievable and tragic circumstances, pastors in the Ukraine, they turn to the Psalms. And one of the pastors charged his congregation with this. The Sunday right before the invasion, I do not know in what mood you came here this morning, but I know for sure that if you open your heart to the Psalms, you will come out strengthened in Jesus Christ you will come out strengthened for whatever might come your way. And that week they found out the invasion did come their way. But that church and that people now had the Psalms. And that makes a big difference. So Psalm 23 this morning is not just a psalm for dying. I want to recover it as a psalm for living. There's two things I want to point out in this passage, although we could point out so many. Just two things. The life of God and the life with God. Let's start with the life of God. In verse 1, you see it right there. The Lord is my shepherd. And everything in this psalm, and in reality, everything throughout the Bible, hinges on those five words. So before we get into all that the shepherd does for us, we first must ask the question, who is this shepherd? 
Who is this shepherd that is able to lead his sheep in such a way that they can say, I lack nothing? How can they say that? Sheep lack almost everything. Well, the reason David can say that is because we, like sheep, might lack everything, but our God lacks nothing. So who's our shepherd? David says the Lord is our shepherd. And this is the summary statement of the Psalms. You see it there. This is how the Psalm starts. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's how the Psalm ends. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord surrounds this Psalm like we're going to find out the shepherd surrounds his sheep. And notice when he uses the Lord, it's in all capital letters. And by capitalizing the word Lord, David is trying to tell us something. He is telling us that the Lord is our God. He is our shepherd. This is not just a title for God. He's talking about the very name of God. It might be better translated, Yahweh is my shepherd. Or I am is my shepherd. And to put this into our terms, terms that we might can understand, what's the difference between a title and a name? Well, one of my titles here is pastor. And of course, that's part of who I am. But pastor is not my name. My name is Luke. That's who I am deep down. My name. And David wants us to know that our shepherd is not just any God here. He is Yahweh. He is the one true and living God. And because he's the one true and living God, he can meet every need you might have. If you remember, this is a name that God actually revealed to Moses way back in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. So in Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses. He tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses is scared to death, like any of us would be. Moses is scared to death, and he asks God, who do you want me to tell him is going to send me? Who should I tell him sends me? And God reveals to him, not his title, but what we see in this passage, his name. He says, tell him I am has sent you. That is God's covenant name, Yahweh. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see it with that capitalized Lord. And to understand the magnitude of God's name here, we have to understand how we would try to describe our life to somebody else. We would never just say, I am that I am. If you were describing your life to someone else, you would have to say things like, well, I'm, I am like this, or I'm like that. Or you might say, I've, I am what I've been born into, what I've received from my parents, or I am what I've become. We could never say just I am because we're not self-sufficient. We don't exist by ourselves. All of us are so dependent on so many things outside of ourselves, but not God. God says none of this. He says, I am who I am. And in that name, we start to understand the life of God. You can see this life in the very way that God revealed his name to Moses. He gives us a picture of who he is in the burning bush, doesn't he? It is no doubt that Moses, during his time in the desert, and all that heat probably saw many times a bush catch on fire. But there was something different about this bush. This bush was burning without being burnt. 
It was on fire, but it was not consumed. The fire was self-sufficient. It had life all by itself. And when David says the word Lord, that is who he's talking about. That is your God. Like the burning bush and unlike all of creation, God does not get his life from anyone or anything. He is all-sufficient to the point that one theologian can say, God is like an infinite fountain, a spring that will never, ever run dry. So what's the point of all this? Why all this emphasis on the Lord? We're not even into Psalm 23 yet. Why is it so important to understand the life of God in himself? Well, that's who your shepherd is. He's not just any shepherd. He's Yahweh. And we read in verse 1 that God has done the unthinkable. This God who has all life in and of himself has decided to share that life with you. God rolls up his sleeves and he is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He lacks nothing and now with him, so do you. One of my teachers told the story about growing up as a pastor's kid. And as a pastor's kid, he, he had to often be dragged along to different things his dad was doing. And that meant sometimes going on hospital visits. And he, he told about the story of one time he went with his dad on a hospital visit to this man that was in his last days. The man had been a faithful member of his church for many years. And now he was closing in at the end. So his dad did what he always did in those moments. He sat down at his bedside. He opened up the 23rd Psalm. And as he did so, the nurse came in, and she was just going through her routine, just checking on some things. And his dad started reading the 23rd Psalm, and the man couldn't help himself. He started reading it along with him. And around verse 4, as they got to, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, the dying man started to cry. But these were not sad tears. They were, as my daughter Lydia calls them, happy tears. His dad finished reading the passage. They prayed for the man, told him they loved him, and then they quietly left. But after leaving the room, the nurse ran out after them and wanted to catch up with them. And she ran up to his dad and said, I've heard Psalm 23 all my life, but I've never heard it like that. To which his dad replied, Well, ma'am, you might know the psalm, but that man there knows the shepherd. You see, who our God is makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in the world if our God has life in himself, because when he shares it with us, then you have that life. I know many of you here this morning know the 23rd Psalm. Everyone knows the 23rd Psalm, but that's not David's question for us, is it? David's question is, do you know the shepherd? And not just do you know the shepherd, do you know that he's Yahweh? He's the great I am, the one who burns but never burns out, the one whose resources are inexhaustible, who works and works on our behalf but never grows weary, who gives and gives and gives to us and is not once spent. As kings and kingdoms have come and gone and will continue to come and go, Our God remains forever. He is on his throne. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Our shepherd is Yahweh. 
and he's sharing that life with you. So what does that life look like? We've seen the fullness of God's life in himself. Now let's look at the life with God. What does it look like to walk through life with the Lord as your shepherd? Well, Psalm 23 tells us he's actually our shepherd in three ways. Because the Lord is our shepherd, he's leading us. He's with us. And as they just sang beautifully, he follows us all the way home. Look at how the Lord leads you. Again, David says very, quite, very confidently in verse 1, Because God is leading me, I shall not want. And that I shall not want is not the best translation. That's talking more about, not, not about desires, but want of. So it might better be translated for our modern ears, I shall not lack. I will not have want of things I need. And you might ask, how can this be true? Because Christian or not, we have so many things we lack. And these aren't just things we want, but things that we we think we need, important things. We feel like we lack better health or peace on earth or a better life for our kids. We feel like we lack being fully understood or being loved in this way. We like having relief from suffering or the pains that we're going through. So what is David talking about here? How can he say, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack? Well, he tells us, life with God isn't about getting everything. It's about getting everything you truly need. You see it there in verse 2. Verse 2, the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures for food to eat and a security and safety that you actually feel the freedom to finally lie down. And then he leads them beside still waters, giving them plenty to drink. And it's it's not just what he provides for us and what we need, but verse 3 tells us he's guiding us all the way as he's leading out in front. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads us back to those right paths. Those paths of holiness that Robert talked about last week is where we find true joy. It's where we find true happiness. He restores our soul by bringing us back to the right paths. This is what we truly need. And have you noticed when you're feeling like you do lack, when you feel like you do have want of things, most of that is tied up in what's coming ahead. Our hearts cry out, God, what in the world is going to come my way? What is going to come up there that I might not be ready for? And Psalm 23 tells us what's up there. God. God is up there. And what that means is, because he's your shepherd, nothing will ever come to you that first doesn't come through him. I was reminded how powerful this was a couple weeks ago at the conference when our mission partner from Togo... Macklin was here, and during Sunday school, he was just sharing something about his story, and I hadn't heard much of that, and he was sharing that 20 years ago, he landed in Lexington, Kentucky in 2002, and when he landed here, he had no family here to rely on, he had no friends to call to, he said he had nothing, he said he had no clue what God was going to do, but God did, you see, Macklin wasn't from here, he wasn't here, but God was already here. God was already here, and he was Macklin's shepherd, and he was going to lead him. And my goodness, if you listen to Macklin's story, did he lead him? 
John Flavel, in his book, The Mystery of Providence, writes this. There is not such a pleasant history for you to read in all the world as the history of your own life if you would just sit down and record it from the beginning what God has been to you. There is not such a pleasant history in all the world as your life with God. The seniors' luncheon is today. You see it in the announcements. And the seniors, every time they have a luncheon, they always announce this is not just for seniors. This is for the whole church, for the younger generation, the older generation, the middle generation that might be in some sort of denial. This seniors' luncheon is for everybody. And they're right. The reason they say that is because they know we need each other. And the younger generation desperately needs the older generation. But you know what we need the older generation the most for? We need your stories. We need to hear you say, in all these moments of my life, the Lord is my shepherd. And now towards the end, as I've looked back, I did not lack anything. That's what we need to hear you all say. We desperately need to hear the Lord's faithfulness, that you truly lack nothing. So our shepherd's out ahead. He is leading us all the way. But he isn't just up ahead. He's there beside us. Look back at verse 3. Those righteous paths in verse 3 often take us straight into the valley, don't they? Connect verse 3 and 4. The righteous paths take us straight into the valley. In verse 4, David tells us, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice David doesn't just say, I shall not lack in verse 1. Now he's saying, I shall not fear. And this again confuses us initially. How can David say that? Can he really say, I shall fear no evil, I will fear no evil? Can he really say that with complete integrity, in all honesty? The human heart is not just filled with constant wants, it's filled with constant fears. You all are like me, you all walk in here this morning, and there's so many things going on in our hearts. There's so many fears and anxieties. I mean, I know FDR said the only, thing to fear it's, the only thing to fear is fear itself. And I know that sounds good in a speech. But my goodness, I have more fears than fear itself. Just this week, I had fears of what's going on in our world, what that means for what's going on in our country, what's going on in, in people's lives, the burdens they're going through, the suffering they're enduring, how they're going to make it through that. And then I asked myself, did FDR have kids? And he did. I looked it up. <laughs> because he should have said the only thing to fear is fear itself and toddlers. You need to fear toddlers too. So can David really say that? Can he really say, I shall not fear? Because we know David didn't live a cushy life. Most commentators agree this is David at the end of his days. He's looking back on his life. And when he looked back, you know he, he saw so much sin. You, you know he saw so much struggle. Having to run from his enemies, escape death, the family dysfunction at the end of his life. But what's beautiful about verse 4 is that David does not try to explain evil. He doesn't try to explain where it comes from. 
And he doesn't try to minimize it either. He says evil is very real. It's so real, in fact, that everyone will go through it at some point in their life. So he doesn't explain it away. He doesn't try to minimize it and say it's not there. He just says, I will not fear it. How did he get there? How did he get to a place where he can honestly say, I will fear no evil? Well, David is no longer speaking in the third person, is he? He's no longer saying he, he, he. He is now saying you. I will fear no evil for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And when that valley of the shadow of death comes, and it does come for everyone, the shepherd will not be up ahead. He will be right beside you. David is not afraid because God is with him. And that makes all the difference. I don't know if you heard the the news story early in the year that came out of Macedonia, but it was a story of an 11-year-old girl who had Down syndrome. And because she had Down syndrome, she was being bullied by some of her middle school classmates. And you can imagine with her, if you just take a second, that valley that she must have been going through. What darkness for an 11-year-old girl with Down syndrome to have to endure. Already the stigma she felt for being different, now she was being bullied, being humiliated, further isolated. Just the fear she must have had to have to wake up every day and to go back into that. How, is she, how would she get through that? How would any of us get through that? Well, the president of Macedonia heard about this happening. He heard about the bullying. And he did not write a letter to her principal. He did not issue a public statement about bullying going on in schools. Instead, he went down to her city. He visited with her family. And on Monday morning, he walked that little girl's school. And the most beautiful part of the whole scene, and you can Google this and look at the pictures, the most beautiful part of all this is there's all this crowd around her, all the news cameras, all this. There's all these people, and and several of those people you know have been bullying her just a week before. And what is she doing with all those people surrounding her? She's walking right through. She's not running as fast as she can to get away from them. She's not running anymore. She is walking with her head held high, just as she should be, because the president is walking with her. As you read Psalm 23, 4, you should ask, who in the world walks in the dark? Who in the world walks in the dark? And David tells us Yahweh does. The shepherd is not just leading you this morning. He's walking with you. And this is what our gospel is all about. This is why we love Jesus so much. You heard it in John 10, our New Testament passage this morning. We, we know now what David can only hope for, that our shepherd is not just our shepherd, he's our savior. Jesus is God with us. He is the great I am. And he left that eternal life without darkness to enter into our darkness. Why? To walk us through it. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Praise his name.
So I don't know what you're going through this morning. I can't imagine the depths of the valley that you might have to be walking through right now. But I do know you're not alone. God himself is with you in your valley, and he's not going anywhere. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. Jesus Christ was up on the cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, looking down on the people betraying him and forsaking him and denying him, and the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed on that cross. And if he didn't leave us then, if he didn't leave us in the darkest valley of Calvary, when hell itself and the wrath of God was being poured out on him, what makes you think he's going to leave you now? Whatever valley you're going through, he's not leaving because his, your valleys don't drive him away. They only serve to pull him closer in. And Psalm 23 is not even done. We're only in verse 4 here. Because our shepherd doesn't just help us get through the valley, he turns that valley into a victory, doesn't he? Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Where is this table? It's in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What David is describing there is a king's victory banquet. He has turned the world's greatest suffering, he has turned that valley into his greatest triumph. Our greatest fear, death, Jesus walked right into, and then three days later, he walked right back out of it. And this morning, because of that, we literally come to this table that he has prepared for us in the presence of those same enemies. The valley of the shadow of death has been turned into our salvation. And every week we get to feast at this table as a constant celebration of who our Savior is. And you know we're not the only church partaking of this meal today. As Max said in his prayer, we're not the only one going through these things. We're not the only one participating in communion. Hundreds of churches in the Ukraine, hundreds of churches throughout the world through war and evil and strife, and yes, even death, are gathered together to worship the living God and take of his body and his blood. Why? What's the point of doing this every week with all that other stuff going on? Well, they know what Psalm 23 teaches us. Death is not our end. God is our end. Psalm 23 doesn't end with the valley of the shadow of death. It ends with the Lord. It ends in the house of Yahweh. In the third and last confidence statement, David says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word follow is a pretty weak translation. The word is actually he will pursue you all the days of your life in a way that he will never let you go. David ends exactly where he begins. He knows the Lord is all around him. His shepherd has led him. His shepherd has come beside him. And now his shepherd with goodness and mercy is following him all the way home. So the final application for you all this morning, to wrap this up, I have to ask the question of Psalm 23. Can you trust him? And when I say trust him, I don't mean that patronizingly. I mean, can you really trust him? David doesn't want you to believe just that the Lord is a shepherd. He wants you to believe the Lord is my shepherd. 
Can you trust him to be that? Can you, can you trust to call on him for that? Not just with death sometime then, but with whatever you're going through in life right now? Can you give him the sins that you can't forget? Can you give him the suffering that won't go away? Can you give him the paths, the valleys, the wants and the fears? Because he'll take it. This is our life with God. It's constantly going through life and asking God, can I trust you even here? Can I trust you even with this? That's why David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. That does us no good. He says the Lord is my shepherd. That does us infinite good. And that my makes all the difference in the world. I share a lot about my kids in sermons and when I teach uh, because I know a day is coming when they don't want me to do that, but they can't really say anything now because they don't understand what I'm talking about. So I, I like to share a lot about my kids. And granted, before we had Lydia, I didn't know a lot about parenting. And if any of you all knew uh, this and didn't tell me this, I'm going to be really mad at you because it didn't show up in any of the parenting books, all the advice we got. This never showed up. We never heard anyone tell us about dance recitals. And if you're not aware of a kid's dance recital, a kid's dance recital always occurs on a Saturday. It always occurs right in the middle of a Saturday, right, right in the middle of a U.K. basketball game or a U.K. football game. And you might ask, well, they're, they're children. How long could they possibly dance for? And I'll say, well, your kid, he, he or she only dances for about 10 to 15 minutes. But you're expected to stay the whole time, four to five hours. And you might ask, well, that's crazy. Like, why would, why would you have to stay the whole time? And I'll respond, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but everyone does. Everyone just assumes we have to stay the whole time. And so you're there for four to five hours, even though your child only dances 10 to 15 minutes. So if you were to ask me after church, we're hanging out in the narthex, and you were to ask me, hey, Luke, would you like to come to a dance recital with me? I would say, nothing in the world would make me want to come to that dance recital. <laughs> But if you put that same question in my daughter Lydia's mouth and she were to ask, hey, Daddy, do you want to come to my dance recital? I would say nothing in the world is going to keep me away. Nothing in the world is going to keep me away from that dance recital. Because Lydia is mine. She's not just a daughter. She's my daughter. And because she's mine, my life is bound up with her life. What she needs, I want to give. Where she is, I want to be. And if that's me, how much more is our God who has full life in and of himself and has said he wants to shepherd you through all of it? That word my changes everything and I hope you can say it this morning because if you can, if you can say that tiny word, it's big enough to swallow up the worst of your sins, the darkness of your suffering, it's big enough to swallow up your wants, your fears. And yes, it's even big enough to bring you all the way home. The Lord is my shepherd, and I hope he's yours too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful you're our shepherd. Help our hearts cry out mine, that we trust in you, that we give it to you. And now as you bring us to this table, feed our faith with the hope that only you can bring. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.